seriously popular. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. Cool fact, a crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Also, you can get health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans, underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for you. Learn more at UH1.com. Now, the trial of the NHS nurse Lucy Letby is continuing at Manchester Crown Court. She wept as she told the court that she was devastated at being accused of murdering seven young babies and the attempted murder of ten others. Asked by her defence lawyer if she'd done anything wrong, no, she replied. She told the jury that she'd only ever done her best to care for the babies. This is a podcast about one of the most anticipated criminal trials for years. It involves the most shocking of allegations the alleged murders and attempted murders of tiny, premature babies at the hands of a neonatal nurse whose very job it was to look after them. Lucy Letby is on trial at Manchester Crown Court, accused of killing seven newborns and injuring ten more at the Countess of Chester Hospital in Cheshire. The jury has now been sitting for almost nine months. The prosecution and the defence have both finished outlining their cases now and the jury will shortly be asked to decide whether Lucy Letby is guilty or not guilty of the 22 charges that she faces. I'm Liz Hull, Northern Correspondent for The Mail. I will be in court to report on the case as it develops. And I'm Caroline Cheatham, a broadcast journalist. Every week, we'll examine what's happened and bring you the details behind the headlines. This is the trial of Lucy Letby. So all the evidence in the case has now been heard by the jury and we're approaching the end of this trial. Regular listeners will know that the babies in this case are not being named for legal reasons and the identities of their families are also being protected. We're calling them babies A to Q. This podcast will go further than the headlines and news reports but at times you might wonder why we aren't bringing you more detail. And that's because we can only tell you what the jury have heard and that's to preserve the integrity of a fair trial. Seven of the babies died. Ten survived. Every one of these babies is someone's son or daughter. And the mums, dads and families of every baby are present in court, listening to every detail of how their child was allegedly killed or harmed. In this special episode, we'll hear Prosecutor Nick Johnson, KC, say Lucy Letby was out of control when she murdered two triplets. We'll reveal allegations that she attacked some of the babies repeatedly to make it look like they had ongoing problems. We'll explain why she's accused of gaslighting her colleagues into believing the collapses and deaths of babies was not foul play. And we'll hear the prosecutor say that nobody contemplated that someone was murdering children in plain sight. Welcome to episode 42, the beginning of the end. (laughs) 
Liz, we open this episode sitting on the steps outside Manchester Crown Court because, as we've said before, we're not allowed to record or film inside the building. Last time, you might remember, that we recorded here from these steps, it was October and pouring with rain. Today, it's practically summer, even here in Manchester. So this trial has spanned all the seasons for nine long months. The jury of eight women and four men sitting inside in Court 7 have heard more than 100 days of evidence. They've watched countless witnesses answer questions. They've received thousands of pages of information. And they've seen the defendant, in this case, Nurse Lucy Letby, deny the allegations that she killed or harmed 17 babies. We're into the final days of the trial now, Liz, and you're still here watching every twist and turn. Yeah, that's right, Caroline. I'm here in the main court, sitting with three other journalists in the press bench. Some of the families involved in this case are also in the courtroom. And as you know by now, the public gallery is in the court next door, Court 8, where several of you, our podcast listeners, are also sitting, while the vast majority of the media are watching this trial via a video link in a large courtroom in the Magistrates' Court, which is just up the road. And Liz, we've called this episode the beginning of the end because that's the point we've reached in the case. The evidence is finished and the lead prosecutor, Nick Johnson KC, is now pulling together all the different elements and identifying what he called the patterns or similarities in the alleged attacks. And he said the jury can now start putting together the pieces of the jigsaw. Yes, he told the jury that after all this time listening to the evidence, it was the beginning of the end of the trial for them. All the evidence has been presented to them and it's now time for the barristers on either side to summarise why they say Lucy Letby is either guilty or innocent of the charges she faces. So Mr Johnson's been on his feet for a few days and we're going to head back into our studio so we can update you on where he's got to. So Liz, we're back in the studio and we're going to get straight into what Mr Johnson had to say to the jury as he started his closing speech. He told them Lucy Letby got away with her alleged killing spree for 12 months because no one on the unit wanted to contemplate that someone among them was murdering babies. Lucy Letby got away with her campaign of violence for so long because people didn't contemplate the remotest possibility of a nurse trying to kill tiny babies. The similarities between many of these cases show you that it was a single person sabotaging children and the coincidence of the presence of Lucy Letby on all those occasions shows who that person was. Lucy Letby had used ways of killing babies and trying to kill them that didn't leave much of a trace. Certainly nothing was spotted at the time as being significant and her behaviour persuaded many colleagues that the collapses and deaths were quite normal. Many of them simply couldn't see the wood for the trees. Several post-mortem examinations in isolation didn't raise the alarm because no one, no one was contemplating the possibility of foul play. We want to point to the evolution of Lucy Letby's murderous assaults on these children, and point out how calculating and devious she has been. We suggest that Lucy Letby gaslighted staff at the Countess of Chester Hospital, doctors and nurses alike, professional people with many, many years of combined experience. She persuaded them that what they knew in their heart of hearts to be utterly abnormal was just a run of bad luck. 
He reminded the jury that it was Lucy Letby's case that the collapses and deaths were due to staff shortages or the mistakes or inexperience of doctors. She claimed a gang of four consultants, Dr Ravi Jayram, Dr Stephen Breary, Dr John Gibbs and a doctor we can't name but we've been calling Dr B, had conspired to blame her for the deaths to deflect attention from shortcomings and failings at the hospital. But Mr Johnson said that when he put her on the spot and asked her exactly what these shortcomings were, she became uncomfortable because he suggested there were very few. So, one by one, he took the jury through what Lucy Letby said were the shortcomings in every case. When it came to baby A, he said, Lucy Letby claimed a delay in giving him fluids for three or four hours was a problem. But Mr Johnson pointed out that he did not die of dehydration. He died of an air embolus. For his sister, baby B, who survived, Lucy Letby could find no criticism of her care or staffing levels, he said. It was the same for baby C, who didn't survive. For baby D, the only criticism was a delay in giving her antibiotics, but Mr Johnson pointed out that she didn't die of an infection. She too died of an air embolus, he said. In the case of baby E, who also died, Lucy Letby suggested doctors had been slow to respond to bleeding but Mr Johnson said that this was dependent on what the doctors had been told about what was going on by Lucy Letby, who was his designated nurse, and why he was bleeding in the first place. For his brother, baby F, who survived insulin poisoning, there was no criticism from Lucy Letby of his care. Baby G survived, and Lucy Letby's best effort, according to Mr Johnson, was to blame her best friend for accidentally overfeeding her, before she changed her mind and said she didn't believe this had happened after all. In the case of baby H, who survived after being moved to another hospital, Lucy Letby questioned whether chest drains had been secured properly, and the doctors who inserted them may have been incompetent. But Mr Johnson pointed out that both the medical staff who treated baby H and the expert radiologist Professor Owen Arthurs suggested there'd been no problems with her drains when she collapsed. For baby I, nurse Ashley Hudson was blamed for not having her on full monitoring for 48 hours after her antibiotics were stopped. In reality, Mr Johnson said, she'd been off full monitoring for much longer than that. And on the night she died, medical staffing issues may have contributed, Lucy Letby said, because the registrar had been called away to the delivery suite and Dr Gibbs had also gone home shortly before she collapsed. But Mr Johnson said that was a non-starter. Baby J survived and all Lucy Letby came up with, he said, was it had been a very busy shift. For baby K, Lucy Letby claimed her breathing tube was not secured properly. But it's the prosecution case that she was the one tampering with it. She died a few days later after being moved to another hospital. In the case of baby L, who also survived being poisoned with insulin, he said Lucy Letby could point to no shortcomings. Neither could she in the case of his brother, baby M except to say the unit was stretched and he was not in a proper cot space. Other than that, there was nothing else she could put her finger on, Mr Johnson said. In Baby N's case, she said the unit was very busy when he collapsed and there'd been issues with intubation. But none of that deals with why Baby N needed to be intubated or was bleeding in the first place, Mr Johnson said. He also survived after being moved to a specialist children's hospital. With baby O, she suggested an issue with his swollen tummy had been inadequately dealt with on the previous night shift. But nursing charts suggested that in reality, there was no problem at all, Mr Johnson said. 
the best she could come up with in the case of his brother, baby P, was a potential issue with his chest strain. But Mr Johnson said what that was exactly, she couldn't say. Both baby O and baby P died. Finally, with baby Q, who survived, she couldn't point to any errors in his care. So much for staffing shortages and incompetence. From what shortcomings were the gang of four trying to deflect? She didn't give you specifics. She hasn't told you the evidence for her theory. Lucy Letby has to prove nothing. There's no burden on her, but there is no evidence to support her allegations. Mr Johnson said it had been suggested to the gang of four that they invented evidence to persuade the jury that she's guilty. But he asked the jury, Do you really think they would say things they knew were not true to get Lucy Letby convicted? Mr Johnson then pointed out that none of the doctors knew about the insulin in the blood of baby F and baby L when they blew the whistle. If they were trying to stitch her up, they'd miss the best bit of evidence, he said. The gang of four didn't do a very good job in scapegoating Lucy Letby because at the time, they missed the evidence of insulin poisoning. They have missed the best bit of evidence. Astonishing! All the clues in the insulin cases point in one direction. She's sitting in the back of the court. Mr Johnson said Lucy Letby targeted sick children and used the vulnerabilities of others, including baby N, the boy born with haemophilia, and twins baby A and baby B, who she thought had inherited a blood disorder from their mother, to camouflage her attacks. We suggest Lucy Letby is an opportunist. Some of the children she targeted were sick, but they would have recovered. She used their vulnerabilities to camouflage her acts. Have you ever felt like escaping to your own desert island? Jane Gaskin did exactly that, trading in the family home to begin a new life in the tropics. But she soon discovers that paradise has its secrets. I'm Alice Levine, and this is The Price of Paradise, the island dream that ends in kidnap, corruption, and murder. Wish you were here? Follow The Price of Paradise now, wherever you listen to podcasts. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. So, as we mentioned at the start of today's episode, a key theme of Mr Johnson's closing speech is the patterns he wants the jury to consider. Similarities which he says exist between babies and alleged attacks in this case. He said he's going to start drawing together the different strands, pointing out the patterns in the evidence about what he says happened to each child, so the jury can start piecing together the jigsaw. Now, he said Lucy Letby had been calculating and devious in covering her tracks. She tried to pull the wool over the eyes of the jury, manipulate and even gaslight them to try and get away with the serious crimes that she's accused of. So we're going to focus today on seven of the babies where Mr Johnson says there are connections in the alleged attacks. 
These connections show, he claims, the power of coincidence and circumstantial evidence. He told the jury that, on their own, these pieces of evidence might not prove Lucy Letby's guilt, but taken together, they prove beyond any doubt that she's responsible for killing and harming babies in her care. He focused initially on baby F and baby L. They were both twins, but not related to each other, and they were born eight months apart. He pointed out that blood tests unearthed by the police years after the children fell ill now proved that they were poisoned with insulin. And unbeknown to Lucy Letby, he said, the drug had left a biochemistry fingerprint, which proved foul play. He reminded the jury that Lucy Letby herself admitted the boys had been poisoned. She insisted, though, that she hadn't been the poisoner when she gave evidence last month. In Baby F's case, Mr Johnson said that she'd been so sly that she'd even poisoned a stock bag of feed, which she knew would be hung in his drip when she was off duty because he was the only child receiving the feed. What better way for a poisoner to cover their tracks than to leave a replacement bag in the fridge to be used by an unsuspecting colleague, a member of her nursing family? It shows a degree of cynical, cold-blooded planning, diverts suspicion onto someone else and deflects suspicion from Lucy Letby. Mr Johnson also alleged that because she'd failed in her attempt to kill Baby F when she attacked him in August 2015... She upped the dose when she poisoned Baby L eight months later. By the time Baby L is poisoned, the level of insulin in his blood was double what it was in Baby F's blood. That tells you a lot about intention. The person who poisoned Baby F must have poisoned Baby L. The idea that two people on this neonatal unit were separately spiking fluid bags is so improbable that it can be discounted. Baby F had survived, so the poisoner, Lucy Letby, upped the dose for Baby L. What clearer evidence than an intention to kill could you have? Another connection he drew the jury's attention to was that he claimed she deliberately targeted Baby F because she'd already murdered his twin brother, Baby E. It's alleged she injected air into his bloodstream the day before. Cold, calculating, cruel and relentless. And he insisted that when she added insulin to baby L's drip to try to kill him in April 2016, she also tried to murder his twin brother, baby M, by injecting him with air during the same shift. If you conclude that Lucy Letby murdered baby E, tried to murder baby F, and tried to murder the twins, baby L and baby M, then it puts all the other cases into a very clear context. So Mr Johnson had started by drawing the jury's attention to these connections between the attacks on baby E, baby F, baby L and baby M. But that wasn't it, Liz, was it? No, he also claimed the attacks on baby E and baby K shared similarities. In both these cases, he said, she was caught red-handed because she'd been interrupted mid-attack. With baby E, his mother interrupted Lucy Letby attacking her son. So she continued to attack him to cover up for what she'd done and create the impression that he really did have a problem. She did the same with baby K after Dr J Ram interrupted her tampering with her breathing tube, Mr Johnson said. Her reaction was to invent or provoke other incidents to throw off the scent of suspicion. She tried to create the impression of a continuing problem 
where in reality no problem existed. With baby E, it was provoking continued bleeding. With baby K, it was creating the impression that she was a serial tube dislodger. Baby E's case was a head-on credibility contest between his mother and Lucy Letby, he said. His mother was delivering milk to the neonatal unit when she heard her son screaming and then she saw blood around his mouth. She said Lucy Letby told her not to worry. She said the blood could have been caused by his feeding tube irritating his throat and urged her to go back to the postnatal recovery ward to rest. Mr Johnson said the evidence showed this happened at 9pm because baby E's mum called her husband soon afterwards. And there's a record of a phone call being made at 11 minutes past nine. But Lucy Letby claimed baby E's mother didn't arrive in the unit until 10pm, which was also detailed in her computerised nursing note. But Mr Johnson said these had been deliberately falsified. Have baby E and baby F's parents made that up to get Lucy Letby? Because that's the choice. Are they in on it? A sub-gang of two? Or are they telling the truth? There is a fundamental difference between the twins' mother compelling account and the lying record made by Lucy Letby. This is why we say this is a head-on credibility contest. Is the twins' mother or Lucy Letby lying? The prosecution say that after being caught by baby E's mum, Lucy Letby pressed home her attack to make it look like he had a problem with his bowel that was causing internal bleeding. Baby K was born at just 25 weeks and Lucy Letby is accused of trying to murder her by dislodging her breathing tube. The cases were similar because, again, Lucy Letby was rumbled mid-attack, this time by Dr Jayram, Mr Johnson said. Dr Jayram claimed he walked into nursery one to find Lucy Letby standing over the cot and watching baby K desaturate, but doing nothing. She told police she might have been waiting for her to self-correct and start breathing for herself. She claimed nurses sometimes waited for up to 30 seconds to see if newborn babies recovered by themselves. But in a very dramatic moment in court, Mr Johnson asked the jury to imagine watching a tiny little baby of just 25 weeks desaturating in front of you while the time ticks away. I will count it for you. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight. 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, 14, 15, 16, 17, 18, 19, 20, 21, 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28, 29, 30. It's uncomfortable, isn't it? Even talking about it is uncomfortable. That's why... It's attempted murder, ladies and gentlemen. So Liz, Mr Johnson then told the jury he was jumping ahead to Baby O. Now, Baby O was one of the triplets in the case, and he said this was because his alleged murder, which took place after Lucy Letby came back to work following her holiday in Ibiza, bore similarities to the alleged murder of Baby E some ten months earlier. He said this was another connection he wanted the jury to consider because he claimed both babies died in a similar manner with violent internal injuries. We say Lucy Letby used violence and air on baby E. He reminded the jury that baby O was found to have had a ruptured liver that was discovered after his death by expert pathologist Dr Angela Smarnarides. 
Mr Johnson said that when he questioned Lucy Letby, she accepted it must have happened on her watch while she was looking after him, but she didn't know how it happened and insisted it wasn't by her hand. If, like her, as we suggest, you accept what Dr Manarida said about baby O, then you can be sure he was murdered. We say simply, ladies and gentlemen, that the murder of baby O was cruel and it was violent. But no doubt she'd got away with so much by the time she returned from Ibiza, it gave Lucy Letby the misplaced confidence that she could pretty much do whatever she wanted. We say frankly, by this stage, she was completely out of control. Mr Johnson then outlined another connection. He said Baby P, the brother of Baby O, also suffered a liver injury. It was less serious than his brother's and Professor Marnarides accepted when questioned that unlike Baby O, that injury could have been caused by vigorous CPR. But Mr Johnson said the prosecution didn't accept this. He said it wasn't an innocent coincidence that Baby P had suffered a similar injury to his brother when both boys had died within 24 hours of each other. If you conclude that Baby O was a victim of someone inflicting force on him to cause a terrible liver injury, then the very idea his brother died the next day with a liver injury is damning evidence against Lucy Letby. It's the power of circumstantial evidence. Finally, he pointed out another connection, that Baby P's breathing tube was also allegedly dislodged by Lucy Letby minutes before he collapsed and died, just like Baby K's. He alleged she dislodged the tube deliberately because he was about to be moved to another hospital, and he reminded the jury that moments earlier she'd said to a doctor, he's not leaving here alive, is he? Why did she say it? There is only one answer. Because she knew the end game. She knew what was going to happen. She was controlling things. She was enjoying what was going on and happily predicting what she knew was going to happen. She was in effect playing God. So late on Thursday, Mr Johnson finished his closing speech and we'll bring you the rest of what he had to say in Monday's episode. But here's how he pulled together the connections to the jury. We've seen Baby F and Baby L were poisoned by insulin. Each was deliberately targeted. Each of their brothers was injected with air. The attack on Baby E was interrupted by his mother, so Lucy Letby persuaded her to leave so she could press home the attack and make it look like he had an ongoing problem. Her attack on Baby K was also interrupted by Dr. Jayaram, so Lucy Letby pressed home the attack on her dislodged her ET tube more times to make it look like she had a problem that didn't really exist. That is something she repeated with Baby P. Baby P's liver injury that was found after death, viewed in isolation, may be explicable by CPR, but when viewed in connection with what happened to his brother the day before, we say the possibility of innocent coincidence can be eliminated. So that's it for episode 42. We'll be back, as I said, on Monday to bring you the conclusion of Mr Johnson's speech. I'll be in court as usual, and you can read my reports in the mail and on Mail Plus. You can also follow me on Twitter at Liz Hall. You can give us a rating and you can share the podcast and you can follow us on Twitter at Lucy Let Me Trial or you can follow me at Radio Caroline or send us an email at thetrialoflucyletby at gmail.com. See you then.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Our hit series, Everything I Know About Me, is back for a brand new season. And this time, our guest needs no introduction. I'm coming to find me, Darren! But here's one anyway. Hi, I'm Gemma Collins, and this is Everything I Know About Me. If you think you know all about Gemma Collins, think again. Because this is the GC as you've never heard her before. It's been exhausting. Unashamed. And I was really heartbroken because I was pregnant and he was having an affair. Unfiltered. I have had an operation as well years ago. I have a designer vagina. Yeah, baby. I don't have camel toe. Unbelievable. And then they advised me, you need to have a termination. And, uh, yeah... I remember that being really stressful. Everything I know about me with Gemma Collins is out this Thursday wherever you get your podcasts.